And then over the years, I just started, you know, I found out I just really liked business. I just really liked the elements of business that were, how do you do it? How do you get employees to do things and show up and have it? How do you build a culture and how do you, how do you create something from nothing, really? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Small Business Storytellers. This podcast is for you if you see business as a tool for making the world a better place. My name is Seth Silvers. I'll be your host. And one of my biggest passions is learning from businesses who are growing without losing their authenticity. On season two, we're learning about how to thrive in times of crisis as we learn from businesses who have been impacted by the coronavirus pandemic. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode. Let's dive in. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Small Business Storytellers. Uh, this is one of our episodes in a series of uh, episodes talking about uh, specifically the 2020-2019 coronavirus pandemic and how it's impacting businesses. And so we wanted to have real conversations with real business owners um, on how you know it might be taking a toll on our communities and, and really also talking about what can we learn in times of this like this as business owners. So Today, I have um, a friend of mine, Aaron Everett, who uh, has been around and very involved in the business community in Northern Colorado um, for quite some time, even though you're not an old man. Uh, you've just been very, very involved. <laughs> so Aaron, could you uh, just tell our audience a little bit about who you are and, and what you currently are doing business-wise? Sure. Well, I think most people just describe me as a serial entrepreneur, somebody that just uh, wants to have his hands in a lot of things, enjoys a lot of different aspects about being in business. Um, I've done a number of different things over the years as a home builder, uh, land planner. I've done uh, real estate deals as kind of a investor and uh, that kind of side of things. I've also been a manufacturing owner, um, a manufacturer owner. I owned a company that we manufactured a wood application product, kind of took barn wood and made it into wall applications and really cut my teeth in most of my education in that particular business, a challenging one and one that I learned a lot from. Um, currently, I do real estate sales and uh, also am I'm an operator of a delivery provider company. And so I have uh, a bunch of employees and people and we're out still during this whole episode, delivering packages to people, um, trying to help our community out uh, in a strange way. It seems like to some degree that we'd still be out delivering toilet paper and paper towels, but that's what we're doing. And uh, right. it's turned into something over the last couple of weeks where I feel like it's gone from just a, a business to something that actually is a, a community good. It's kind of a interesting part of what's your it's kind of my fundamental beliefs on capitalism anyway, which is that it's a service sector deal. Um, you don't give me money unless I provide you something. And I think that's the essence of service. And I think capitalism is kind of at its core is really, that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be neighbors exchanging goods in order to help one another and, and help them get better and further along in life. And at this really strange moment, suddenly this program that I'm doing is, uh, it's just, it actually has, can sheds all the scales off of that and really shows and showcases that capitalism can do some amazing things when people are in trouble. 
That's awesome. So how did you give us a little bit of context for how you got to where you are today? Like when did, how young were you when you started getting into business? And even I'll, I'll kind of ask, cause I know, but like give us, and your family has, uh, the way I like, I feel like your family has built a lot of Fort Collins. And so <laughs> give us some, uh, insight into just your family of business, but then also how, how did you get into all this? Sure. Well, my family uh, has been in the region for a long time. My, my mom's side of the family moved here in 1917, sort of escaping the Soviet revolution that was happening in Russia. They came as migrant workers to Windsor, and they picked beets, sugar beets, and believe it or not, watermelons at that time were a thing that they were growing in Windsor. So they came over on ships and came through Ellis Island and came to Windsor of all places. So my mom's wow. side of the family has been here a long time. My dad's side of the family uh, was in the lumber business and they came here in the fifties. And my granddad, who has uh, since gone on, but was one of the most admirable men I ever met. Um, and I'd say that even if he wasn't my granddad, uh, just kind of a brilliant guy, loved the lumber business and couldn't sell any lumber because he didn't, nobody, there were no lots to build houses on so his builders couldn't buy lumber so his way around selling a two cent two by four at the time was to get into the development business <laughs> and uh, so he started developing land in Fort Collins and over the years we probably did 15,000 residential lots neighborhoods in Fort Collins like Parkwood, Oak Ridge, uh, Indian Hills, Nelson Farm, uh, Fossil Lake Ranch, bunch of them. There's a bunch of neighborhoods that we got in the development business on. And as a part of that, we kind of just built this, he built this company that was just based on development and construction and uh, all sorts of interesting aspects to that. That led him to build the Foothills Fashion Mall in the 60s and 70s. And that mall um, is now a different deal. It's owned by different folks now, but it's still kind of in the center place there in Fort Collins in Midtown Fort Collins. Right. And um, yeah, we just got into the commercial business and the real estate business. We owned a real estate brokerage for a while and uh, financing side of things. So you were like a kid or you, I mean, you were seeing yeah, all this yeah. as a kid, right? Yeah. I was seeing all of this as a kid. So did you get like, when you were a teenager, were you getting involved with like, I guess, have you ever worked for anybody that wasn't in your family or did you just like <laughs> jump right in and into this? My first job was when I was 11 years old. Um, my dad um, got me a job sweeping out the houses he was building. So I got really familiar with the home building side of this business. I didn't like it very much, but I got involved with it um, from a really young age. So I was sweeping out houses, mowing lawns at show homes. Um, you know, I don't think I was very effective, but it was a good, <laughs> it was a good experience. My cousin and I, uh, before we could drive, we ended up uh, being the summer crew to go sweep houses and do lawn mowing. And so we would ride our bikes and we'd have weed eater across the handlebars and houses draped around our shoulders and dragging the lawnmower behind us. <laughs> we'd ride all over town to different places with this uh, kind of crazy scene. That was a great experience. I learned a lot about working and I learned that I really enjoyed working. I like I liked what the challenges of work brought. Um, and I saw this kind of incredible thing in front of me. You know, my family was, uh, it's double-edged sword. A lot of times, uh, you know, I'll talk about this a little bit later, just in relationship to what I did and how I got into business. But it was a double-edged sword. You know, your, your 
family's name is fairly prominent, you're riding around town and everywhere you go, you see your name on real estate signs and you see your name in, you know, kind of big, big signage on buildings and things like that. And, and that was just such a, I, I didn't know anything different necessarily. Um, but it was also just, it was just one of those things that I recognized pretty much at an early age that I was involved in something that was really unique. Whether I, whether I was working at it or not, I, it was a really unique opportunity to see this kind of, here's somebody that's basically one of the, one of the real Colorado entrepreneurs becoming, building a city and uh, seeing, seeing that all play out in front of my eyes. So it, pretty fascinating. My granddad ended up being in the business, Colorado business hall of fame. Um, just won a bunch of awards that is uh, towards the later stages of his life, just after everything had gone on. And so you just, it was just sort of, I don't think I could <laughs> describe it any other way than it was just in me. I was being in business and especially in the real estate business. Um, there was just, there was no way to, to do that. Otherwise it was just, I was going right. to be a part of that no matter what. Um, I got into business though, by being a musician. So I okay. uh, traveled and played music around the country. I got into it in college. I left here when I went to college. I just kind of, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't quite pull it all off. So I wasn't a great student. I went to University of Northern Colorado and was cordially uninvited back because of my grades at one point. So I went, uh, I went to Canada and uh, moved there to do a small Bible college program where I really was fascinated by theology and kind of psychology and, the, and theology seemed to go hand in hand. And I was, was pretty fascinated by all of that. And really the real estate business is that anyway, it's a, it's a psychological and sort of, you have to have a lot of mental fortitude to get through it. And you have to sort of understand the human condition quite often uh, in that, in the business world, I think. And so I did that and, but I fell in love with playing guitar and uh, ended up, getting in a band. And then I became the guy that kind of spearheaded all of that traveling and touring and, um, you know, recording CDs at the time and going to studios and trying to figure all that stuff out. And so I learned to be pretty good about doing accounting and business through a ledger in the back of my, my minivan, as I drove around the country, learning how, what costs and expenditures were and, and how to budget for things. How do you, how do you actually budget for a tour across the country when really I had a credit card that had $500 worth of credit on it at the time that was, that's not very much, um, obviously. And right. I was able to sort of buy all my equipment and get myself on the road with a $500 credit card and I had to pay it off every month. And so it just became this kind of interesting, wonderful game that I actually really liked. And my music career didn't go very far. I played a lot, traveled a lot, toured a lot, got to see a ton of wonderful places, but nobody would know who I am as a musician any longer. <laughs> I never really had much success at it other than to just go have a ton of fun and really enjoy what I was doing. And, um, and so, but I learned how to do business that way. And, and my wife and I met playing music. And when I kind of moved back to Fort Collins, the natural inclination was I'm going to get married. I'd love to have kids and want to have a, a life and a house and all the things that the American suburban dream looks to be sometimes. And, and so I decided to go to work and I told my dad, I said, I don't really know much about any of this other than I, I can change a light bulb and, uh, 
and I'm willing to learn anything you want to throw in front of me. So my dad set me up with a land planner, a landscape architect who taught me how to do AutoCAD, um, taught me how to do, you know, land planning and understanding engineering and how does this all work? And I started to get pretty good at that. So I had a chance to develop, do land planning on a, a number of, uh, different things that were really cool. So neighborhoods like Fossil Lake Ranch and LeMay Avenue Estates and Timber Ridge and Severance. I learned how to do that stuff and it was really fun. It was really enjoyable. And then right before the 08 crash, we started to really see Fort Collins is a little bit early typically to some of these things. And so in the before the 08 crash, we started to see a little softening in the market. And so in order to sell land, one of the ways you do that, especially if the land isn't as the premium premier lot, you go out and you build a house on it because it's actually easier to sell a house than it is vacant land. And so uh, we started a company called Jamestown Builders that was a company that uh, my cousin and I started and we got into building houses and we kind of followed this not so big house model and I started learning how to be the architect and draw and design houses how do people live and how do they like to live and that was really a wonderful fun challenge and so we built somewhere between between the two of us we probably built close to 500 houses in northern colorado over the next uh seven to eight years i'd say and i really enjoyed it i really enjoyed doing that i got into the interior design piece of that uh, quite a bit because that was something that was clearly helping our houses sell the floor plans I would design, and then I would go do all the interior design on the homes, um, pick out all the furnishing, you know, the, not the furnishings necessarily, but the, the flooring and the, the backsplashes and the tiles and all of those kinds of things. And that led me into a whole nother path where I opened a retail store to sell all of that stuff because I got so really fascinated by that side of the business, stopped building and ended up in the interior design business at the same time we started this wood paneling business. Um, and then over the years, I just started, you know, I found out I just really liked business. I just really liked the elements of business that were, how do you do it? How do you get employees to do things and show up and have it? How do you build a culture and how do you, how do you create something from nothing really? Um, so did that over just a number of different things, did that with the wood paneling business and we, we built up our interior design business and we sold that business and we built up our wood paneling business and we sold that business. And, um, we did a, we did a outdoor camper business for a minute where we took campers and rented them out and built a website and did a whole kind of program around, uh, outdoorsy, which was the platform that we rented on. And so Airbnbs for campers for the summer built a great business and sold it. Um, so I, I just kind of found I really liked that aspect of uh, the whole deal. I liked, I liked the game. I liked the deal. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of my business story. It's where I'm at. I, I sell real estate. I do like selling real estate. It's, I wouldn't be able to tell you that like that just is part of what's going to happen for me because it's, it's just in my blood to go do that. I understand it quite a bit. Right. And I bring a unique perspective to that uh, side of the business because I, I really, I know, I know a tremendous amount between land use codes and building codes, uh, values, neighborhoods, my sort of ability to understand what life in Northern Colorado is like. And then I'm, I really like people. So 
you know, being in sort of the customer service side of things on the sales side of it, you know, I used to, used to call real estate brokers maggots, but I've found myself on the other side of that. Um, and I really appreciate who brokers are. And I really appreciate what they do in the business because if you're good at it, it, they're not, it's not just a big, um, it's not just a big commission check. There's a lot of work associated with it. And you, and it's a lot of counseling and, and helping people and helping them understand what they're actually doing when they buy a house. And so I, I like that, that side of it. So that's my, that's kind of my strange business story. I do a lot of different things. I like a lot of different things. It's not necessarily something that I go out every day and think, man, I really love delivering packages, but I love the challenge of what's associated with that. I love the, gosh, how do you, how do you make a culture that people want to be a part of and especially doing hard work like that every day? How do you make somebody really enjoy what they're doing on a daily basis? Um, that's, that's a fun challenge. So, uh, and, and unique, it's a great opportunity to work for the whole process. So it's, I, I find myself very fortunate. I, I'm a unique individual that just gets the chance to have had the chance to do a lot of different things in a, in a wonderful system. Yeah, that really, I mean, it's amazing the the breadth of work that you've gotten to do. So fast forward to where we are today with, um, yeah. I mean, we're recording this on March 21st and I was talking with my family how like even like 10 days ago, like just how, how different we were all having conversations of like, I can't believe that was just last week. Like it just seems like time has slowed down, um, but at the same time happened so fast to where all of a sudden, you know, the economy is, uh, you know, it's had, it just had its worst week that it's had since 08. Unemployment is skyrocketing right now. Uh, people are just like worried. And so how do you, um, particularly like with your team, I'd love to know, like, how are you approaching communicating with people that, you know, you're so you're partially responsible for paying their bills. Everybody's still being impacted yeah. by, by this. And so how are you talking about this crisis and this pandemic with your employees and your team? Well, yeah, so unique. I mean, this is like every day feels like a month. It's just so, I guess fundamentally, even to back up a, a bit about why I would talk to the employees the way I do, um, you know, small business is just, <clears throat> it's, it's the greatest legalized Ponzi scheme that ever happened, right? You use today's deposits for paying yesterday's bills. And, and you do that over a course of time, you do it long enough. And that's how you build a little, you skim a little bit of profit out of each transaction. And that's what you, that's what you do. I think people think business people just go home and shower in $20 bills, you know, and this crisis is making us shower in $5 bills instead. Um, it's not like that. I mean, this is really something, this deal is, if you shut off the valve for any one particular business, I've got friends in the brewery business, the brewery industry, I've got friends in the restaurant industry, I've friends been, in, I've been in Fort Collins my whole life. So to really have this sense of, gosh, here's, here are people I know in every sector that are being impacted by this deal. And when you shut off the revenue for cash flow in any sector, so if you, if you were to take a landscaper or you were to take a, a business, uh, like a, a restaurant or a brewery, they build their entire model off of daily cash flow. There isn't any, there's no reserve, so to speak. You don't come to the table with, well, I got a million bucks. I just want to blow it. 
And so I want to figure out how to do this. You have a, most business guys have an idea. They go leverage that idea with a bank or personal investors or maybe their own capital to some degree. And then they go out and try to make it work. And if they have daily cash flow, they're able to pay their bills, they're able to pay, pay their employees, and they're able to do something where on it a little bit of every day, you, you, know, you kind of buy yourself a job as an entrepreneur. You really skim a little bit out, you try to take a little bit for yourself to guide and do the things. Some days there's not any money there for you to take out. So when something like this happens and it shuts off the valve of your, of your only capacity to be successful, when that happens, you, you're, you're immediately in the most panicking, fearful state you could ever be in because upstream, you know that the landlord isn't going to necessarily take a haircut for you because you can't pay your rent because the bank isn't going to take a haircut to the landlord who owns your deal. Your suppliers who have all made the beer and given it to you on credit aren't going to take a haircut. So they're looking for it because their landlord is looking for their rent payment. Who's looking for it. So it's just this massive domino, you know, I've been shocked by the trickle down, how it's like, you know, at first you're like, Oh, this is going to take a big hit on the airline Mm -hmm. and then on the airline industry. And then like one of the companies I do marketing work for is in Greeley and they're a vendor for, uh, energy companies and gas companies. And so, I mean, it took the, then like, uh, you know, the trickle down to them. And then, you know, like you said, then that makes rent tough. And then it, it just all, it affects everything. Yeah. So if you shut off cash flow for one day in America, which is what's happened, I mean, you basically have shut off cash flow in America for one day. You basically crumbled 50% of all business because small business can't sustain it. But, you know, airlines, I don't care who you are. It doesn't matter. Small business, large business. Nobody builds a business without the concept that they're going to get revenue. You know, there's this great Parks and Rec deal where these two guys open up a marketing company and it's just like they all they do is spend money. And they're like, well, we had to spend money to make money. But they're like, they never bring any revenue in and they're out of business. You know, one of the guys is like, I would guess they're going to be out of business by the end of this sentence you know, because it doesn't have any money coming in the door. And that's really what business is built on. You, you build your business on cash flow. And so when you don't have that, it just, it's panic. It's just immediate. Well, how am I going to do this? What am I going to do? How am I going to pay my employees? And, and you, when you have employees, and this is kind of getting to your question, when you have employees who are looking at you, who are in sheer terror, because you're going to tell them that they don't have a job any longer that moment is the hardest thing for a business owner to do because you've probably over the course of your time, not you've foregone paying yourself to pay your employees because you need them. You need them there. You've foregone paying yourself to pay your rent. You've, you, those are just normal everyday deals in a, in a small business environment or any business environment. I mean, short of guys that are taking million dollar bonuses at the very top of this whole thing, but this is just so unique and so rare it really, you know, that's just a, I just think they're an anomaly in the, and I wouldn't even call them capitalists. Right. I mean, they're, they're, they're sort of crony capitalists at best and maybe corporatists where they're just embedded in the government situation and they're just totally insulated from a lot of this stuff because they're the first guys that can walk up K street and say, Hey, I, I need a bailout. I need help here. And, you know, I don't think 
I don't think people I know in Fort Collins even have the connections at all to go talk to anybody about where they're going to get their bailout for a situation like this. So I, you know, I kind of mm-hmm. exclude those people at the top, but you really, most everybody in this situation is dependent upon every, it's such an interdependent system that shut off cash flow for a day. You just you cripple, if not collapse an economy in a week. That's what's happened in my opinion. So when I look at my employees and I look them in the eye and I, you know, I feel like I feel so fortunate at the moment that I'm in this situation. My cousin really runs that business, but I'm, I'm there. Um, you know, he's the day-to-day operations guy of that, but I'm there to help and, and certainly have been there to help develop the culture. And it's been a part of what I've really enjoyed about that business. And now at this moment, I look at it as a chance to really actually help our community. Um, and just because, we're, it's just so strange and I actually can employ people and keep them, keep them employed as long as we can continue to deliver packages and that doesn't get shut off and shut down because of this whole thing. Um, we'll continue to be able to employ people and that's, uh, I mean, that's the biggest blessing for a community, I think, you know, because I, I can look at these folks and tell them, look, you've got a job and I can help you pay your rent. I can't help everyone pay their rent, but I can help you pay your rent by you exchanging your time for me and I will exchange a paycheck for you. Um, and that's, that's that essence of capitalism stuff that I think is just so, we just lost it so, so quickly in this. We, this whole thing just feels like, how do I, how do I help? What do I do? Well, well, basically it's showing how much help actually happens in a capitalist society. When you actually work in, when you're actually exchanging your work for money, you realize what kind of good help an employer actually does provide. And you realize all of this stuff when there's, when it's, when it's crumbling, you just start to look at it and go, well, gosh, I I should have been more thankful for the system because the system was so beautiful. It was just such a beautiful deal that everyone could do something. Yeah. Work's kind of miserable from time to time, but it's still helping people, right? It's still, I'm, I'm paying you to help me and I'm going to get some, profit out of that and I'm going to be able to pay my rent and I'm going to be able to pay my home mortgage and when those things just disappear you just it's just terror it's just sheer terror that's a long answer sorry no that's great so I mean in one way do you feel like this this crisis is kind of I don't I don't know if I'd say restoring but I guess what is it is it almost like in in one way is it kind of bringing us back to the roots of capitalism because I, and I'll, I'll kind of, I guess I'll preframe that by saying like, I mean, I'm, I'm being reminded as a business owner, like if I'm not delivering real tangible value, that's helping another business or another person grow, you're toast. Yeah. And I feel like a situation like this really reminds you of that because people, everybody looks at their books and they look at everybody's looking right now for what they can cut. And most of the things that are being cut are, you know what, this isn't helping our business. This isn't helping us pay our bills or pay our employees. And so it's got to go. So in in one sense, do you feel like this crisis is kind of um, bringing people back to maybe a a most like a restored view of capitalism, like you described it, of neighbors giving value to neighbors? I hope it does. I mean, I, I, I worry politicians manipulate situations often. And so there's a chance that this, right. this could go in the, in two directions, I guess. I, and I don't, I'm not a tinfoil hat guy. I really am not. I don't, I try yeah. to be slow to things and I try to try to respond to things with a rational sort of tempered idea about well, what's actually fundamentally behind all of this and what's actually going on. And I think, 
there's two things that could happen here. It, it basically could be like, well, see, without all of this intervention, then no one would have survived and nothing would have happened and, and we would all be dead in the streets. Well, that could be the case. And so there could be this advocacy for a higher level of intervention. You know, there's could be more government stuff that could be, and, and government's not bad. I don't want to, I don't, I'm not going in that direction. I just think people start to look for help in places. And, and sometimes in this instance, there are opportunists that will say, well, this is, this is, this is why we do these things. This is why we have government. This is why we need bureaucracies. This is why we need to do things at, with a, with a bit of a heavier hand. And so that, that could be an outcome. The second outcome is the one that I'm hopeful for, the one that I would be an advocate for and any chance I can talk about it, I want to, which is the, the capitalist, the true capitalist, the guy that, that does something to help his neighbor and they change, you know, it's just back to the basics, right? If you have eggs and I need eggs, but I only raise, I only raise pears, right? I don't want to, and you don't need pears, then it doesn't make any, that doesn't work, right? But, but you might need money for something else. You'd, you might want apples. And so you can use the money that I give you from, from my, that I've sold the pears to somebody else. And I got some money for that. I can utilize that money to go buy your apples and you can do that to buy the eggs. You know, this kind of really interesting lower level market dynamics, which is just, I think at the the core, most people really want to live and operate that way. We've built a system that doesn't allow that a lot of times and, and it's very complicated and there's lots of levers to pull and, you know, Federal Reserve notes and, you know, who's going to pay me and how we, all that stuff is super complicated and we've made it such, you know, for whatever reason we've decided that. But I think on the base level, most people would, I hope, return to this place of what do I actually have that I can provide to somebody that will help them? And if, if we can do that, man, that's like, that is the chance to rebirth something that's actually helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so what, yeah I, I think that's a great perspective. What do you feel like, I mean, what can, what can businesses do? Like, what would your kind of encouragement to, you know, some of the business owners that you know, um, and stuff be that they're on the brink, like they're having to have some of those hard conversations with their employees or they're, um, doing everything they can to not have that conversation next week. Um, what would your advice be to businesses that, are really wondering if this is this might be the last month. Well, I think they probably all are there. I think about the people, and I don't know these people well enough to know or speak to them, but I mean, there's classic restaurants in town in Fort Collins that have been here for 50, 60 years. What's their incentive to reopen now that they're, they've gone through all of this and lost all sorts of money and their employees are all laid off? And I just see so many of those kind of classic institutions, things we love, just disappearing because it just they're going to just say this is too much this was this was one bridge too far i couldn't do it um and i i don't blame them for that and i think they need there's it's hard to have perspective in this and i i actually wouldn't even know i couldn't i couldn't tell anybody you know oh just hang in there i think it's going to be okay i don't know that i mean i, I don't know that this thing doesn't just implode the entire situation uh, to a point at which you have to start over. I mean, or just a massive amount of forgiveness of debt and money and, you know, sort of a year of Jubilee kind of thing where you just, (laughs) 
<laughs> going and saying everything for everything. All the mess you've made is forgiven. Uh, all the mess this made is forgiven. I don't know short of that, that most business owners are willing. I mean, this is, this is one that's just so demoralizing and so hard because you just never count on this. You can count on economic situations. Everybody knows a recession comes every once in a while, right? They, they always do there and there's always a boom and there's always a bust. And those things are things you can kind of plan on and you can kind of see them coming. You may not be totally prepared for them and you may have underestimated what that means, but nobody, nobody thinks that Monday morning, I will not have a single customer any longer and I will not sell a single item from my brewery or my restaurant or my bar or, you know, I think the idea of the, it's wonderful that people want to do takeout meals and that kind of stuff to try to help small business owners. The food is the worst margin piece of the whole deal. Most restaurants sell food as an, it's an entree point to beer or wine or liquor. I mean, that's where their margin is. And this is, you know, this is like, well, it's nice to be able to keep a few people employed, but there isn't any margin in food to pay the rent. I, most, most restaurants are running no more than a 50% margin on their food. That's, uh, you know, you got to think about paying rent, uh, to property taxes, bills, employees, food supply, all that stuff out of that margin, there's not enough for them to even really to stay in business. I think it's a nice sort of knee-jerk reaction at the moment to think, well, let's go do takeout, help help a restaurant out. And maybe it does help them prolong the inevitable. But at some point, that margin runs out and they won't have enough there. And so I just feel, you know, you just get so fearful for them. I, I guess what I'd say to anybody that's in this is that, look, that, find out in your business what is what will restore that basis level of helping someone now when you're constrained by nobody can come i mean a restaurant's a classic example you they are their whole business is providing something for somebody else right they they're, they're going to provide an experience they're going to provide the dishes being washed they're going to provide the food on the table a better flavor than you can make at home whatever it is when that's just evaporated by mandate I don't know what to tell those people. I, I, you know, I'm praying for you, helping you. I'd love to help you. I'd love to, I'd love to give you whatever I can give out of my, out of my pocket to help you, but I can't help everyone. And so that's just where you feel. I think that's where most people feel helpless. Like, well, what are these guys going to do? What, what is the brewery going to do when, when they depended on tap room? You know, they, they depend on that. They depend on somebody going to the grocery store and buying their beer. And I think about small breweries that don't distribute and they just use their tap room. Uh, this is this is just demoralizing, uh, just devastating. So, yeah, I don't I don't have a great answer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wish I did, but I. That's OK. And I, th- I think it's so I mean, it's weird because everybody knows, oh, we're not alone. This is affecting everybody. But I think it's still so necessary to have these conversations and to share these conversations on avenues like yeah. podcasts where people can realize, oh, like, uh, like this is uh, this is not just affecting me. This is affecting everybody. And then I think it gives us an opportunity to, gives us maybe a little bit more courage yeah. to reach out and to talk to other people about what we're going through um, and stuff. But I, I think that uh, I really appreciate your perspective on all of this. And I think that, um, you know, my, uh, I, I wouldn't say this is going to be, I'm, I'm an optimist by nature. Um, 
And so, you know, I don't at all want to just play down what's going on and say, oh, it's going to be good in the long run because it's it's looking like it's probably going to be a while before things feel good. But I do think that that, uh, that this forcing businesses and forcing us to go back to really reevaluate everything we're doing and looking and asking the question of how is what I'm doing bringing value to others and being totally honest about that question. I think that that's, and I hope that that's going to, um, have good long-term results where there's, you know, there's a lot of businesses on the fringe that they're just, they're just using business as a way to make, you know, make money. And there's not really anything unique. There's not really a story. There's not a ton of value. It's just kind of, you know, it's just transfer of money. And that's, that's not necessarily wrong. There's a lot of people that do that. Um, and that do that for, you know, their own personal reasons and that's fine. But I think that, um, I think this is going to really like the businesses that have loyalty, that have a brand, the businesses that have a community around them are really going to be the ones that survive. And I feel like the ones that are just, just another business offering something that somebody else does for a different price, it's going to be a lot harder for them. So I appreciate you kind of being willing to talk about this, um, and stuff. And the last thing I'd love to just ask, uh, before we part ways is, um, just share with us a little bit more about how there's been this transition in the last week where your delivery business has gone from delivery business to, oh my goodness, like you guys are actually serving people and stuff. So how, explain that shift a little bit because that's that's really, really interesting. And I want, uh, I'd love for that to kind of be the last thing we talk about on this conversation. Sure. Well, it's been a fascinating thing to do this deal. I like, so I got this, we got, we got awarded this contract in August and, um, and we started to kind of go through all the training and then travel around the country to try to get to places where we would understand what was go- actually going on. And, and all of that was really unique and interesting. And, and, and for the first little while of it, I was just like, couldn't get enough of it. Right. You're just devouring it because it's just such a, it's just such an interesting thing. Well then, but do the same thing. I don't care what you do, do the same thing every day, the same way, as long as you, you know, about a month into that and you do it seven days a week about a month into that, the boredom factor starts to get pretty high, right? I mean, just thinking, well, what am I, what am I doing? I'm delivering dog food and toilet paper and paper towels to people and, you know, knickknacky things and Christmas time, of course, you're, you're, there's a little bit more joy in it because you're kind of being able to deliver things that are going to help people have a great Christmas or a great holiday kind of thing. And so some of that's, fun but after a while like january 15th you're like okay well when what this is we're doing this huh okay guess we'll do this for the rest of our time and i think there's a that is it just it gets mundane right and in this case when this started to happen and all this started to kind of shut down and i started looking around and i'm realizing well wait a minute it just changed my whole mindset on the thing to realize you know what this isn't just about uh this isn't just about going and giving people things that they're buying because they have just random time on a Saturday to buy some widget. This is actually in this instance, I'm actually doing a service. I'm actually getting something that people need at their door. So they don't have to go outside. They don't have to be, you know, they can help the quarantine and they could do all of this sort of self management stuff. All of that is really kind of what came of this. And it changed my mindset to the point of, I know at my heart why I really believe in capitalism and I, I believe in it because of those, that very basic tenet of it, right? The eye pencil thing where 
the guy in Malaysia makes the rubber and somebody else makes the, the nickel on the thing that holds the eraser. And then there's the wood that comes from Seattle and the, the graphite comes from somewhere else. And it all gets assembled for about five cents, right? It's just this crazy, wonderful thing that happened. And no, no bureaucratic aspect could ever manage all of that to get it to that price. The market pulls that all together that's what started to happen in my head of, well, wait a minute, this is capitalism at its core. This is the fundamentals of why I think capitalism works, why it's important, why it's still valuable to us as humans, why we still should operate in that system, because I've got something, I can help get it to someone, and I can take a good or a service, and I can ship it, and now I'm going to figure out how to ship it. I'm going to figure out how to make, you know, margin on each of those little things, you think, man, that's really, that's astonishing. And so then to be in this position now where we're actually, my drivers are superheroes, right? They're out every day in this, braving what is a culture of fear, a tremendous, just over the moon, never seen anything like it, culture of fear. And they're out every day helping people. You just go, that's, well, this is, this, this is amazing. This is actually capitalism working at its core. It's wonderful. Ultimately, it's my job to make sure my employees feel safe and that they come to work with a smile on their face and that they're looking at what they're doing and seeing it as actually greater than just a paycheck for them. They're, they're truly community service people right now in this moment. And I, I think that just was a fundamental shift for me that just made me feel like, no, this is, this is where I can help. This is helping. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. And I, th- I think, uh, I hope that every one of us can see regardless of what we're doing that, you know, hopefully business, like you said at the beginning, you know, there's the neighbor aspect of it. It's neighbors serving neighbors. And I think that different seasons, uh, it's easier to see that impact in our business. And there's seasons where, you know, our work might feel more mundane and stuff. So I think that's awesome that you're approaching it in that way. So Aaron, thank you so much for joining the podcast and for sharing some of your perspective uh, and just, just encouragement to other business owners. Thank you so much for jumping on. I'm glad to do it. Glad to do it. You know, uh, we all just got to stick in there as best we can and, you know, help each other understand the, the dynamics of what these guys are going through. They're real people, real neighbors. Absolutely. Is there, a, you know, I know obviously and it, the businesses you're involved in are a little bit different than others and where you might not have, you know, be trying to build a huge Facebook following for your business or something. But uh, right. is there, right. if people want to get in touch with you, is there a good way that they can, what's the best way for them to find you? Is it LinkedIn or what, what works best for you? Oh, I'm on Facebook. You can, I have just my personal account, Aaron Everett is there. And then um, on Instagram, um, home waters, uh, dash co is my Instagram handle. And it's basically just, uh, that's kind of my thoughts and, you know, thinking about real estate and just different kind of Northern Colorado things that go on. So, um, awesome. so I'd be, I would have followers. Facebook's kind of probably the place I do the most. If I do any of this kind of talking or conversation, I typically post on Facebook this. I like to make things, I think I use Facebook, not for cat memes, but to try to help people think about you know, what's going on in their world. I don't post very often, but when I do, I usually, they're long form posts. So people make, make make people think. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time, Aaron. I really uh, appreciate it. And we appreciate what you do for, for our community. So thank you. 
Yeah, you bet. Thanks a bunch. Thanks for having me on. Do you want to grow an online brand that is profitable and authentic? Do you know that you have a ton of great ideas for content that you want to create, but you need accountability and strategy? Do you want to grow online, but online marketing just seems overwhelming? If your answer is yes to any of these questions, then I want to personally invite you to join our private marketing community, successwithstories.com. Success with Stories is the premier community for purpose-driven businesses committed to growing online by marketing with stories. Inside of successwithstories.com, you will learn how to create online content that converts, how to build a connection with your audience that outlasts any crisis, and most importantly, you're going to learn how to grow your business in a way that feels authentic to you. Honestly, right now in 2020, things are a bit crazy and unpredictable for all businesses. And so we think it's really important to show you how you can build a crisis-proof online brand. Head to www.successwithstories.com to join Success With Stories. Don't wait another day. We'll see you inside of Success With Stories.